Many years ago, there was a TV show. I don't recall the name of it, but it was a game show. And it operated that they would bring out an object, and the teams, had to, the contestants had to figure out what this thing was and what it was used for. And they, they would spend all this time guessing what it might have what it might have been and then I guess the um, at the end of that someone decided which one they thought gave the accurate description and then they revealed actually what it was for and it was kind of funny to watch these teams looking at this object and nobody knows what it is but they're guessing well it looks kind of like something I've seen before maybe it's kind of you know maybe it's good for this or that I felt that way sometimes going to Lowe's and, and you look at some of those little tools in there what is that for or or, or over in the, um, the they had the little cooking store with all the little gadgets in there and you walk in what is this thing I've never seen this which way do you use it what it's about and until somebody comes along and explains to you, oh, well, that's a garlic peeler. Oh, now I get it. And then you begin to understand what it's for. But, you know, if somebody wrapped up one of those things and gave it to you for a gift and didn't tell you what it was, you might use it for anything. Isn't that true? I mean, you might look at that and say, well, that could be a good doorstop. I mean, you wouldn't know what it was because you didn't understand the intent of the design that was there. And so we've seen something similar happen in the church. You know, we have a lot of understanding of pastors, evangelists, and teachers. We know what they are. We've seen them in operation. We've got a handle upon what they do. We understand that when an evangelist begins to operate, what do we expect to see happen? Souls saved, healings and miracles, right? That's what we expect. When the teacher comes on the scene, we expect to be brought into some of the depths of the practical things, maybe go off into the Greek and the Hebrew, but we expect to have some real fine-tuned understanding of the Word of God. When the pastor comes in, we expect to be loved, cared for, come visit me if I'm in the hospital, come, you know, hug me if I'm feeling blue. I mean, we expect them to come and nurture and be there for. But when it comes to the prophet and the apostle, a lot of times we're not exactly sure what to expect from them. We're not exactly sure. And we've seen a little bit of operation, but sometimes there's been some real confusion, and we haven't known how to properly relate, because, well, they're kind of like an evangelist, but not really. They're kind of like a teacher, but not really. I'm not sure if either one of these guys are like a pastor. But you feel there's some kind of a correlation, there's some similarity, but not knowing exactly what to expect sometimes puts us in a position to where we don't properly relate, and therefore we don't get the full benefit of what their ministry is supposed to be. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Now the Lord has given us all five of these ministry gifts to aid us in growing up together. We need the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, so that we can grow up into all things in Christ Jesus, so that we can be mature. Now, sometimes I've seen some Christians, they kind of, they want to be picky. Well, I want just the pastor. 
I don't want any of those evangelism guys around. Or I don't want any of those prophets around. Just give me a nice pastor. And God says, yes, you need the pastor. But if you're going to grow up in all things, you need to receive from the other ministry gifts as well. I've seen some people, all they want is the evangelist. Let's just go get all our friends and neighbors and take them down to hear the evangelist. And let's just go to another evangelist meeting. And there's not really any interest in the teacher's ministry. Or even the apostolic ministry. So, because we've not had some real clear understanding of the role of the, of the prophet or the role of the apostle, sometimes we have, had, we have seen abuses and negligence. Now, probably nobody in this room, but maybe you know somebody, you've heard of somebody, that they never wanted a prophet to minister to them. Or there are some churches, they don't want a prophet to come and walk in the door. The reason why is because maybe they've got a misconception about what a prophet does, or because they have seen abuses, hurts, woundings from his, what, what has happened in the past from someone who came in and ripped and tore, tore up the church and caused problems for the pastor. They had to spend six months getting healed. I've known some churches that are real skittish about having a prophet in because of the bad behavior that's been happened before. On the other hand, I've known some people, they get so excited about the prophet, they don't care about the pastor, don't care about what the pastor's got to say, because i got a word from God, you know. And your pastoral counsel doesn't mean anything, because I've got a word. And then, these people, they still want a word every week. Every week, I'm going to go to another prophet and get me another word. Go to another prophet and get me another word. Every week, every week, every week. You know what? If you get a word every week, when are you going to have time to live out that word? When are you going to have time to obey one of those ones you got? Right? I think there's got to be a time for walking out what you've already received. So we've seen an, an ex the extremes of that, of not wanting the prophet or wanting prophetic word every week. We've seen the same thing with the apostle. Some people have been afraid of apostolic ministry or they want to downplay their authority and their message. Well, they're just another guy. They don't really have anything special. They just call themselves apostle. That's all it means. And they downplay the authority that has been given or the demonstration of the power that's been given to the apostle. And then others take the flip side of that, and they want to elevate the apostle to some place next to Superman, some place next to Jesus. You know, they want to elevate somebody past the level that God has called them to, to walk in. You know, there is rank in the body of Christ, but you know, there's only one Lord and Savior, right? And, and somebody said to me one time, sometimes people look at the at, uh, you know, the Godhead as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Paul. <laughs> you know, Paul is not part of the Godhead, you know. Paul was a man in need of a Savior just like you and me. So I've seen that there's been sometimes too much reverence given to the office of apostle. And sometimes, unfortunately, that has been encouraged by apostles themselves who have not understood about servant leadership, who have not understood about the need to be humble. Hallelujah. In my opinion, that's what I've seen. I guess somebody else agrees too. Now let's look at Ephesians 2, verse 19. 
It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Hallelujah. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Every last one of us are important and are valuable and necessary to the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of this temple. Amen? But notice it says in verse 20, it's the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, has anybody here ever built a house before or built a building? Okay, but you understand that what's the first thing that happens when you go to break ground? You've got to lay the foundation, right? The foundation is based upon blueprints. You don't just walk up one day and say, well, that looks like a nice place to put it, and just start slapping some boards together. You know, you're going to have to have a precise measurement, blueprints, to make sure that this thing is going to fit together and hold it together because you're going to build on top of it. The foundation has got to be strong enough to carry the weight. Now, I don't know, but I've heard it said that for a tall building, the foundation goes as deep underground as the other building goes on top. I, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that it takes a great foundation to hold a great building. And so it makes sense to me, because as you start adding stories to a building, first floor, second floor, third floor, tenth floor, that's a lot of weight to be put upon a foundation. That foundation has got to be strong and firm and properly lined to hold that building. Now, proper alignment is important, too, because if your measurement is a little bit off in your foundation, what is that going to do to the rest of your building? Your building is going to wind up lopsided, isn't it? It's going to wind up not properly aligned. And sometimes people have to go back, tear down, and go back to the foundation and start rebuilding and set it up right in order that the rest of the building is raised up properly. Right? Okay. The foundation is what holds the building up. Now, the foundation for the body of Christ, the temple of God, it is properly aligned to the chief cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is laid. The cornerstone is the one that sets the, the tone for the building, that sets the direction for it. And so that one is laid carefully. Then every other foundation that comes in has to line up and match in the proper relationship to the cornerstone. Because that is the judge. That's the one that everything is lined up to. And so the foundation is laid by the apostles and prophets who are seeing to it that we are properly related to Jesus Christ. Our doctrine is right. Our relationship with one another, with the Lord, is right, is accurate. And that is a key component of apostolic and prophetic ministry. How are you lined up to the cornerstone and how are you lined up to one another? Because we've got to be lined up properly together so that we can build something together. You know, that's why so much, you know, John the Apostle of Love, if you read his, his verses in the Bible, he's all talking about you guys love one another, forgive one another, keep yourselves from idols. What's he talking about? Be properly aligned with the head, Jesus Christ, and be properly in relationship one with another. 
because we understand the enemy wants to come in to bring disunity and disloyalty. And God's all about, let's get it all lined up together to build something that's going to be wonderful and is a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The foundation the apostles and prophets lay is according to blueprints. It's according to revelation. Do you remember that when God had given the plans for the tabernacle to Moses? Remember, Moses has a vision. God says, I want you to build a tabernacle. It's going to look just like this. These are the measurements. These are the materials. I mean, there was no room for variation. He said, I want it precisely this way. And what God told Moses over and over again was, see to it that you build according to the pattern. Make sure you stick to the blueprints. Does anybody else besides me ever watch HGTV? <laughs> I was watching the show the other day, and they had this designer, the guy who had done the designer for the outside uh, room, the Australian guy. And so he's got his blueprints, and he's got this beautiful outdoor room. And so he has hired all, I mean, you've got this whole crew of workers that are coming in, they're studying the blueprints, and they're doing the things that he's outlined. He comes back to inspect, and he said, what happened here? They says, well, you know, this didn't do like that, and we just kind of did this. He said, if you'll follow the blueprints, the blueprints are what I want. We have to tear this out and do it again. Well, they weren't too happy, but he said, I left you the blueprints. If you had done what the blueprint said, we wouldn't have to do this work over again. Right? You know, sometimes in our lives, there has to be some ripping and some tearing of some faulty foundation. Sometimes there's some religious things we've learned, some worldly things we've learned, some bad habits, some things that God says, those have got to go. Those are not lined up. And unfortunately, a lot of these things we've learned in church. It's true. A lot of things we've learned in church. I have been in church most of my life, and I've had to unlearn a few things over the years. Some things that I was not taught accurately, some misconceptions I developed, and the Lord, either through the Word being preached to me or through the voice of the Holy Spirit, said, um, that's got to go. There's something that's got to get adjusted. You need to have your foundation properly aligned to the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad God cares enough to make sure that you're built right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All things, all doctrine, all practices, these things are all be built upon the foundation and measured according to it and compared to the chief cornerstone. You know, Paul said, I am a wise master builder. He says, I'm an architect. I build. He says, but let every man be careful how he builds on it. Make sure that as we add to our understanding, that it does not deviate from the foundation that God has revealed. You know, I believe that we live in a time where there's room for creativity and expression. There's room for enhancing with your gifts and calling, your ability to you know, be creative in expression. For example, you know, back when the Bible was written, they didn't have the same types of musical instruments. They didn't have some of the same types of materials that we use. But hey, are you glad that we still sit in air conditioning and heat and still have, you know, electronic musical things? I mean, sure, we just enhance with what has been prescribed in the Word. You know, there are some denominations that don't. They want to just stick to the way it was back 
They don't even speak back, back to Bible days. You know, they just want to stick back to 200 years ago. You know, if you're going to be biblical in that, be strict in that sense, you need to go back about 2,000 years. Or, you know, hallelujah. That's a whole other topic there. So, but apostolic prophetic ministry is a foundational ministry, and therefore it is marked by revelation. Pastors, evangelists, and teachers will build upon the revelation that has been given to the apostles and prophets. That's how God set it up. That is one of, the, one of the key things that helps you understand, is this person a prophet or an apostle? It has to do with the measure of revelation that comes. Now, the measure of revelation is primarily going to be in teaching the Word of God, particularly for apostolic ministry. But it also can be with just on-the-spot, hot-off-the-press revelation you know, that prophetic people get. You know, anybody can prophesy, but not all are prophets. Isn't that right? Anyone may prophesy, but all are not prophets. All, some may have the gift of prophecy, but the office of prophet will move in a higher revelation than what the gift of prophecy does. But I'm here to tell you, you can have the gift of prophecy, and you can develop that gift to an extent to where people are not sure if you're a prophet or not. And you're within the realm of your authority. It's just that in these days, so many people have underdeveloped gifts. So the time you have somebody with a gift, then I'm sure if that's a gift or an office in operation. Just because. You know, we don't see much of it. You know, if you've never ever seen a prophet before, and somebody prophesies once or twice, you might think they're a prophet when they may not be. They may be someone who is choosing to exercise a gift. Hallelujah. If you look over probably the next page or so in your Bible to chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 4. It says, by referring to this, when you read, you can gain my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. The thing that gave Paul so much revelation, I mean, so much authority, that is, was his revelation. Because nobody had a revelation in the New Testament compared with Paul. He had an account with God, and he had a better understanding of who we were in Christ than any of the other apostles. How many, would anybody agree with that? You believe that he had a deeper revelation? It was the depth of his revelation is what gave him the authority to speak. And yes, he was called and commissioned by God. But Paul says, I didn't get this stuff on my own. He says, the Lord revealed this to me. And it was confirmed by other apostles and prophets. Now, one thing that I often say and that we need to keep in mind is that true apostles and prophets welcome confirmation, are thrilled about it, as a matter of fact. When a prophet gets a revelation and speaks it out, they love to know that God has said the same thing to somebody else. You know? Because sometimes the revelation a prophet gets, that could be a little bit scary. Are you sure that was God? But to have a second, a third, a fourth person say that is very affirming to a prophet. How many times has, has it happened to you or to me? If we thought we heard something, God speaking to us something, you go to church and the pastor preaches on it. You come home and listen to the radio and the radio is talking about it. You go to the bookstore next week, you pick up a book, it's the same thing. You know, it doesn't matter where you go, you keep hearing the same message over and over. It's confirmation. God has given yes and amen to His Word. I love confirmation. I love it that when, you know, I've got something that I've 
you know, meditating on something. I believe God is speaking. And then somebody else comes up and says, well, you know, God was telling me this the other day. And I'm thinking, oh, praise God. There's two of us were tuned into the same frequency and picked up on that same signal. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful thing. In 2 Peter 3, 2, Peter says that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Over and over in the scriptures, we're exhorted to listen to the voice of the prophets and to the apostles. It never tells us about that same thing about the evangelist. How many of you believe that what the evangelist has to say is important? Yes. But the Bible tells us to do the work of an evangelist, but it doesn't exhort us to sit and listen to the evangelist. It's because it's a different revelation. The evangelist has a function not only to win souls, but to equip the body of Christ to win souls. It's an equipping ministry, right? The Bible does tell us to watch out for false teachers and to watch out for false prophets and false apostles. But how are we going to know the truth from the false? Because we've been sitting and listening to the true, and we have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to direct us and to lead us into all truth, right? So the Word is clear about we need to listen to our elders, but it goes into detail as far as the commandments of the apostles and the revelation of the prophets that we need to give attention to. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it says, God has appointed in the church first prophets, uh, first apostles, and second prophets. First and second. First and second as far as in order. Not that one is better than the other. Not that, you know, one is more holy than the other. Not that. It's not about personal character. It's about God is building the church. So when he's about building the church, the first thing is I need the apostles' doctrine. I need the prophet's revelation because I need to have a foundation to build upon. After that, he starts talking about teachers and miracles and everybody else who builds on top of the doctrine and the revelation of the apostles and prophets. Right? You know, that's why sometimes we've seen, you know, you have an evangelist that comes to town, gets a lot of folks saved, but doesn't know how to ground them in the Word of God. You know, the true evangelists, once they get a bunch of folks saved, they're ready for a new bunch of folks. They're ready to move on to somewhere else. They're not really wired for that daily or weekly ongoing nurturing building up of the flock i've known plenty of, of um, evangelists and prophets they're like i don't want to deal with people and their problems i just want to get them saved tell them what god says and move on <laughs> whereas it's the pastor it's the teacher that many times will they get in there and get in the middle of somebody's life instruct them disciple them help them get what they need from god Amen. To grow up into all things into Christ Jesus. So we see that we need apostles and prophets, but they have some different functions. So let's take a moment and let's look at what the prophet does. The prophet is a ministry gift that does more than just give prophecy. Does more than call people out and tell them their name, address, and phone number. You know, sometimes that's what people think prophets do. I know some prophets that don't give individual words. They only give a word for a church as a whole, or they give a word to a region, but they don't go and give individual prophetic words. The prophet, whether they give individual words or not, they have a greater depth of revelation 
a greater level of anointing and a greater authority in ministry, which is sometimes why so many times the prophets' meetings are sold out as far as their standing room only. Not necessarily sold, but you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of people standing in line. I found that for years when I would pastor, I would, have, I would advertise and bring in guest speakers from time to time. I could bring in an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher and get a pretty good crowd. But if I advertise a prophet, oh my goodness, you couldn't hold the people. Now, we, they used to have that happen when I would call in the apostles. I'd advertise an apostle and until they found out that apostles straighten out mess. <laughs> yeah, let, let me tell you a real quick little story. Um, I was uh, visiting a church as a guest of the pastor because it was a friend of mine, and he was—he had brought in an apostle to come in and to minister. And I knew the—I knew the apostle, so I come in to support the meeting. And so the church had been having a lot of prophetic ministry. And so there was a good turnout because people, all oh, right, we're going to hear from the God. We're going to get some healings, get some miracles. All right, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, there's a lot of people with that attitude. But there are also people who had a not-so-good attitude of, ah, it's just a church thing again, you know. It's no big deal. And so I'm just enjoying the service. And the apostle gets up to speak. And all of a sudden, he stops. He says, all right, we're going to deal with some stuff now. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> he said, you want a word? I got a word. He, started, he called out this one guy. And, he, and it's, what's really funny, picture this. This one apostle is short and scrawny. This is not the, you know, big... Bulky. This is a short, scrawny apostle. He calls out a guy three times his size. Big, young, strong guy with lots of muscles. And he lays into him and said, You think that because your mama is the mother of the church, you can come in here with that attitude. And he started going up one side and down the other and told him, If you don't get your attitude right, you're going to face God. And blah, 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 blah. And then the next one, he says, And you, and he called this woman, he says, You split the last two churches you were in. The spirit of witchcraft operated on you. And blah, blah, blah. All the rest of the folks are going, God, I don't need a word tonight. <laughs> I mean, the fear of God is sweeping through the people because he wasn't playing. He was like, we're going to straighten out some stuff. There's some stuff here that ain't right, and we're going to deal with it, you know. And, and everyone else is like, I don't need a word. I don't need a word. So I think it's time for me to go home and, and backing off. But, you know, it was a different anointing because an apostle was moving in to straighten out some things that were out of order. And he was doing it by revelation. Because God was showing him what was wrong, what was wrong, you know. And uh, I, there is a time and a season and when that's appropriate, that's something that has to happen. Because what's God after? He's after a healthy church. And when you've got people who are going in there, come on, people splitting churches. Somebody needs to stop that stuff. How many of y'all read in the New Testament when Paul talked about some people and said they must be stopped? Remember reading that? Yeah. He said, there are some teachers, there are some people in the church who are saying some things they should not, and they need to be stopped because they're contaminating the rest of the people. They're hurting the young flock, and somebody needs to stand up and say something. So, a prophet 
or an apostle may operate in a stronger degree of authority. You know, the apostle and the prophet both can move in that realm of correction, of rebuke. Those who get to prophecy do not. Those with the spirit of prophecy do not. But because there is a difference, there is a weight and a responsibility upon the apostle and prophet for the purity, the integrity of the church. You know, what goes on, what the type of ministry depends upon the authority and the responsibility that you have for it. Right? You know, we don't need armchair quarterbacks. You know, those people that sit there, they should have done it this way. They're going to tell nobody on the, on the, who's actually out there sweating, <laughs> you know, exhausted, getting beat on the field. Well, if they'd have done this, that wouldn't have happened. You know, and sitting there from a guy that hadn't broke a sweat in, you know, six years. But he's got advice on how the best way, you know, that play should have happened. And sometimes we see that happen in the church, that we have somebody who's got no responsibility for what goes on. But yet they've got all kinds of opinions about, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. Y'all, we have to be slow to judge on some of these things. Let's be careful about that. We don't need just more criticism. Hallelujah. <laughs> we just don't. So the prophet may have, according to the sphere of influence, the measure of responsibility that God has given. You know, they're all, not all the same. There are prophets that are assigned to a local church. House prophet. That's what they're assigned to. They're not supposed to go speak to the President of the United States. They're not supposed to go to, you know, Japan. They're supposed to stay right there and deal with those people in that local church. There are some folks that are called to a region. They're perhaps called the Hampton Roads. They're perhaps called to a state. There are others who are called to the body of Christ at large. There are national prophets, right? And we see them online, on TV. We hear they've got a responsibility on a greater level. There are some who are sent to specific nations. They are sent to a, the nation of Israel. They are sent to the nation of Canada, whatever. They have an assignment from the Lord. There are others who are assigned to particular people groups, particular races or groups of people. You know, uh, you, know you, you come across people, they're, they're sent to the urban youth. That's who they're sent to. Or those who I talked to a woman not too long ago, she has sent to religious people. I'm like, oh, God have mercy. You know, <laughs> but God has made her like Ezekiel, you know, stubborn forehead, hard-headed, and bold, so that she has been wired by God to be able to confront and hit those religious types of things that go on. And, and so that's why everybody has got to know the realm of your authority, the sphere that God has called you to, and function in that. A prophet may herald a revelation, but not necessarily implement it. They may stand up and decree and declare this is what God has said, and then wave at you as you go do it. You know, the, the picture is Deborah. Remember the prophet Deborah? You know, she gives Barak the word. This is what's going to happen. God's, you know, is going to be victorious. He says, uh, come go with me. She's like, okay, I'll go with you. But God's going to give the victory to a woman, you know, because you just wouldn't go off yourself. And so Deborah goes out with Barak, but she doesn't pick up a sword. She doesn't actually go in there and start chopping. She just went along to provide encouragement and strength, you know. But it was Barak's job was to actually take care of the battle. It was her job just to speak it. This is what God wants to happen. 
We see the same thing happen in the New Testament. The prophet Agabus. He receives revelation that a famine is coming. And then he's, he's done. Famine's coming. Okay, I'm done. Goes and sits down. He doesn't try to organize relief. He doesn't try to get a plan together. He just releases the word, famine's coming. It wasn't his job to do anything more than just release the word. And so then it was the other elders, the leaders, decided, okay, based upon the prophet's revelation, now we're going to act upon this and do something about it. So that's one of the things that um, when we teach in prophetic teams, you've got to know the measure of your responsibility, of your authority. When God gives you a word for somebody, once you have released and discharged your word, you're not responsible if they do it. It's up to them to do it. I mean, I believe you can have a certain measure of responsibility to pray for them, if you're in a relationship with them, to encourage them. But, you know, let's face it, after a while, you prophesied to hundreds of people. You don't know who you told what. And it's not the responsibility to make sure that they did that. That's between them and God. It's just you release the word, and then they take it to God and do what they've got to, right? Okay. So a prophet may lead a training school or an intercessory group, or they may serve on a church staff. I know of church staffs where you've got, you know, a couple of apostles, an evangelist, a couple of prophets on staff. And they are responsible for whatever, you know, realm of authority, but they function as a prophet in, in that capacity. Sometimes we think that all prophets are traveling prophets, and it's not true. Sometimes we think, well, they pastor churches. Well, sometimes they do, but not always. They can sometimes be secondary, just working alongside with somebody else who's there. Um, some of them may lead training schools. Um, you know, Elijah had his school of prophets. You may have, uh, even those, I believe, many you've got many of the psalmist schools that are raised, been raised up the last 20 years, teaching psalmists to operate prophetically and in worship. Many of those things are headed up by prophets because many prophets have an anointing to understand the flow of the Spirit in worship or in intercession or both. In the flow of the Holy Spirit. Prophets are an equipping ministry, just like the rest. Prophets are going to equip people in revelatory gifting, in prayer or worship. That is, prophets are about building the prophetic in you. So when you get around prophetic training groups, you want to prophesy, and you want to worship, and you want to praise, and we want to learn to do all that stuff because it's so much fun because the prophets release an anointing. And many prophets, that's what they're all about. It's just getting you to flow, to hear from God, and to cooperate, and to be a blessing to somebody else, right? And then we look at places like Christian International, where they have been training people in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for 25, 30, 35 years. Just raised up prophets on staff. I mean, I walked down there the first time. never saw so many prophets in all my life. And they were doing everything. They were running sound. They weren't just teaching. They were running sound. They were doing registration. They were cleaning the bathrooms. You know, they were doing everything that had to be done. And they learned to operate and to be flexible. Okay, I need to teach a class. I need to prophesy. Or I need to clean the bathroom. Whatever it is, we're going to be flexible. So, but prophets are about equipping people to be prophetic. <laughs>